Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to Living Your Juiciest Life Ever, where we have amazing conversations with both men and women. We started just with women, but we couldn't just hold it there. We had to bring in men that were stepping into their juiciest life ever as well. We go, it's it's conversations with people that have gone from a place of selfless to self-full, from self-loathing to self-love, perhaps living someone else's dream to owning their own voice, claiming joy, and living from that juicy place. And today, I have the honor and privilege of welcoming and introducing Susan Swan James. Now, Susan and I, we kind of know each other a little bit. We're, we've broken the surface. We've known about each other and crossed paths many times in our lives. And now we're actually doing some amazing projects together, which we're not going to talk about today, but <laughs> we, because we have lots of other things to go through here. But Susan grew up in a military household. And of course, that had its pros and cons. One of the greatest impacts for Susan was to never give up, never let go, never admit or give in to failure. Wow. Does that sound familiar to anyone? As a result, sometimes it was really flogging a dead horse or not learning from mistakes as one could not admit them. Through the trials and tribulations of life and all of the traumas and dramas that she's gone through, learning to navigate the extremes, Susan has really stepped in to helping others through her experiences, gained knowledge, expertise and skills. In her past, she spent 25 years in the film and television industry in a variety of different positions before she moved into the field of transformation. So you can imagine all of the things that she learned traversing that crazy field of film and television. There would have been a lot of things there. Some of her modalities are certifications, training, skills, and gifts include grief, the grief recovery method, which is a proven system to really help people transform their grief and move forward in their lives in a new way. She's a life transformed coach, a quantum healing activation and divine communicator. Through her own life's experiences, traumas, healing and training, Susan is on a mission to help others be free of embedded pain and trauma so that they can move on and take life on at a whole new level and achieve greater levels of self-fulfillment as well as success in all areas of their lives. Her secret to a happy, juicy life is to learn to experience joy and peace no matter what's going on at any given moment. Who doesn't want more of that? To get in touch or to follow Susan, I'll quickly run over the details, but it will be in the podcast, podcast description. So to make sure that you have all of the information, she has a daily telegram group, which she has started recently, which is very inspiring. It's there for daily prayer, a daily prayer call, inspiration and beneficial information, bi-weekly healing activations and recordings posted for the members. We're putting in her link tree link, which is Susan Swan James, direct website to sign up for her newsletter. So she also has a newsletter. One thing we didn't mention, but the, the last on the list, but not the least important, is that Susan has also become an author through journaling her daughter's 
traversing through being born 16 weeks ahead of time and weighing only two pounds, five months in intensive care, hanging on for dear life. And she has survived and is beginning to thrive and living her life. And it's amazing. So I can't even imagine what that traumatic time was like for Susan, but I'm sure there's many things that you can identify with here. And thank you so much, Susan, for being on the call and taking the time today. You are so very welcome. <laughs> thank you for inviting me. You are welcome. So we're going to dive right in. I mean, that's a pretty big story. And I think that that story has woven itself because this is your child through your life. But yeah. if you, um, something that comes to the surface for you right now, what would you like to share about that journey uh, to the listeners today? With, to give them hope. With Isla being born in the hospital? Yeah. So it started before she was born. At the three-month mark, I started I started uh, bleeding and um, I became a high-risk pregnancy. So it was very dramatic and upsetting um, daily until we, meet, we reached the six-month mark. And that's when I delivered her, right? So she missed the whole last trimester. And so right off the bat... I went from being pregnant to not pregnant and the guilt of not carrying her to full term and not being a good mother was right. You know, you're already going through the emotional hormonal roller coaster of having a baby and having a baby that's born very ill and you don't know um, how she's going to be, you know, um, one in four babies in that NICU don't make it out of there. And so, you know, the risk was high for her not to do well. She was born very young and very underweight. Um, and so it was, it was very shocking. And, uh, and then there's the guilt on top of that, that I hadn't done everything I could have to keep her in and, uh, the blame. Yeah, that was very difficult. And then, you know, um, when we started going through everything, the next thing was not wanting to admit I needed help, like you mentioned in my bio. And thankfully, my husband dragged me off to a parent meeting because I was like traumatized. I was like, this child is going to die. I'm not, you know, it's all for naught. And I was like just in agony over this. And we went off to this parent meeting. And there were eight other, well, there were some couples, but this there were eight babies represented by a mother or a mother and father and every single one of those babies was born weighing less than Isla and was born earlier than Isla so I came out of there with hope wow <laughs> and so those, yeah so those those meetings and knowing those parents carried me through but then we were told it would only be two and a half months and it ended up being five months and so we went through a round of parents and then they all left and a new fresh round came in. So I started not fully being trained as a coach, but just coaching the other parents, helping them get through it. And those ones left. And then another round came through and I started helping those, those parents. And so really, I didn't realize it at the time, but I had PTSD and I had low grade depression and I wasn't, I was like just taking care of everyone else. So I didn't really notice it. And it wasn't until I got home when the medical team and all the parents disappeared. You know, just me and Isla at home. And I could barely take care of myself because now I needed to 
help myself. And, you know, I just really, it was even a couple of years before I realized, hey, I've been depressed. <laughs> Because I just didn't really realize it. What the heck's going on here? And I realized that I had PTSD. You know, I went and actually spoke to, at one of the preemie picnics, you know, three, four years later, I spoke to one of the social workers that were there because they have people monitoring you. They monitor how the parents are interacting. Do they need any social work? Do they need any financing? Do they need any, any, you know, support in some way? But I was just like so busy taking care of anyone I missed their radar and this social worker was horrified that I've been missed. But anyway, yeah, so things like trucks backing up, which happened all day long randomly as you're walking down the street, set me off because they sound like the buttons and the bells going off in the NICU. And so wow. stuff like that set me off. Yeah, it was like, it was difficult. So yeah, that's what it was like. <laughs> and, you know, at a certain part, because especially once we got past the two and a half month mark, um, I expected to be taking her home and she wasn't anywhere near ready to come home. She, you know, there were a lot of issues. And, um, and so I got really, you know, felt really down then and like what was happening and why was it not happening now? Because when you get told a time frame, you expect it to kind of happen then. So every day was like, you know, I really just lived with a ponytail in my hair and sweatpants on and I'd call in the morning to see who what who the nurse was on duty and um and if it was her preemie primary nurse, care nurse or some other nurse that I knew that I trusted, I'd go back to bed for an hour and get some extra rest. But if it wasn't and it was somebody that was rough or just had different ideas about taking care of children than were kind, then I just got my ponytail on and I went in without breakfast, got my milk and, and went in, went in um, and put 12 and four, 12 to 14 hour days there. Nowadays, they now have built an, rooms that the parents can stay in right beside the baby. So it's all individual, but then you couldn't unless you slept on a chair beside them. And I just never did that. They encouraged us to go home and get rest. But mm. um, I was the mom that just never quit. And so other parents were like going off to bridal sh baby showers and um, other things. And I just, I could barely go out for dinner because like my pumping schedule had to be exactly two hours or else you risked reducing your milk. And I was struggling to keep my milk going. So anyway, it was, I just didn't cut myself very much slack during that time. Mm -hmm. I wasn't very kind to myself, but to me, I was on a mission to take care of my daughter. So that was it. Like, you know, yeah. Um, I possibly would do it again, but mm, I would probably work in some things like treats and a little bit kinderness to myself, but <laughs> I would say so, especially if you're carrying that, uh, self blame guilt and all of that. So how, when did you, when did you get to that place where you first of all, recognized that you were carrying that and then knowing that you needed to get past that because it was having a negative impact and so it was I think November that I went to the, the hospital and became trained as a preemie parent coach and so a parent buddy sorry a trained parent buddy so basically they gave us training about being empathetic and um, and listening and so I got matched up with all these people anyone that was born with a baby two pounds um, to and at at um, 26 weeks and um, 
then I was matched up with them. And then, then, um, I was support for them, peer support or, um, just on their basis, on their timeline, they would call or email and I would just let them know I was available. Um, so I supported them through all that. And then I became, I thought, this is okay. I'm going to be a coach. I'm going to coach parents of premature babies. So this is yet another year goes by. So we've got two years going on and I'm finally admitting because I'm trying to coach these parents of, of preemie babies that have come home now and I still haven't healed. So I'm down in the trenches crying with them as opposed to being the support to lift them up. And oh, no. <laughs> So it didn't work out as well as it could have. I mean, it wasn't that I didn't provide any support. I did, no, but I realized I have a problem. So that's when I noticed it wasn't like I wouldn't admit for two years. <laughs> yeah. So it was two years after where you started to see it and then begin to deal with it. Yeah. I mean, did when you get I was some help. Mm. <laughs> you know, Really the help I got was other coaches around me. I didn't go and get like, I didn't do possibly what I should have done and go and get it, you know. You did, you went, you actually took the grief recovery method. I did, I did. So that would have been a tremendous amount of healing that happened during that time. It did, it did, yeah. And I had done a lot of healing through all these things that I have done, had done over, mm-hmm. I didn't do the grief recovery message for like about 11 years after I was born, but okay, yeah, but, um, a lot of other healing in between. And, uh, so nothing structured that I'd say I went to this kind of counseling and this kind of thing. There was a lot of other things going on in my life that, you know, my healing kind of took sideline, you know, I was busy getting divorced or separated and, and all those things after my marriage fell apart. Once Isla was okay after five years and she stopped seeing all the, because after, after coming home, there was five years of therapy, surgeries, helmets, um, specialists, um, five specialists just for, you know, kidney issues and, you know, other things that were going on and physio and speech and language therapy. And it was like every week there was one or two appointments. We spent a fortune paying parking at the hospital. And um, yeah, you read off quite a journey. Yeah. So, so really it was a drama for five years, not just the five months. So I really kind of put myself the side i did what i could at the time and people helped me along the way um but i was busy doing these other things and then once that happened and all that dust settled with that then i realized there was difficulty in my marriage which i had again not observed as closely as i could have (laughs) so with with being under such a huge amount of stress and strain it's huge pressure on a relationship and each person is trying to survive on their own and so there's probably many conversations that were never had during that period of time right and not going back to work because i was taking care of isla um you know put a strain financially on us as well so then there was another added 
pressure that is usually considered the top pressure in a marriage is financial discussions that if people mm -hmm. have different levels of comfort or different spending styles or you know different goals even um those are just like basic things that people really have difficulty with um yeah so there was a lot going on <laughs> yeah definitely lots of ways so to help people <laughs> <laughs> well yeah a tremendous amount of experiences and so uh when you you actually had a question and that was um why do you think um so what what do you think is the biggest thing that holds people back from uh from resolving their past pain from because you've got you've got all of this big pain in, in your own life and yeah. so you've made some really big discoveries around that so you're discovering on your journey you're finding mm, that you're meeting many people that have a lot of unresolved past pain loss and trauma right that's true and in through once i studied the grief recovery method i realized there's lots of myths surrounding grief and um we grew up learning from people who weren't taught how to grieve and they grew up from people that were not taught how to grieve. No one really is knows how to do this. They just do the best they can and they repeat what they hear other people see say and they re repeat what they see other people do. So one of the biggest things, um, and now whenever I hear it, it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up is, oh, just give it time. Just give it time. Time will heal it. Time doesn't heal. Taking correct actions in a specific order helps correct it. But um, but time does not, it might make you forget it. You might bury it and ignore it. Like the superstar here who's ignores stuff or did, did in the past. <laughs> yes. Um, and so, but it doesn't heal. And a great example of that is, I don't know if you know the bus crash that happened in Saskatchewan, Humboldt, Saskatchewan five years ago, six, six years ago now, uh, maybe, maybe seven. And it was a horrific crash that a transport trailer hit a bus full of um, hockey players going to going from Humboldt to a play in a, in a way game. And Humboldt is a town of 5000 people. So everybody on that bus, all the 29 or 30 people were known to everybody. They were all everyone's neighbor, friend, student, brother, sister, you know, everybody knew each other. And 40 years ago before that at the exact same stop sign there was another horrific crash with another hockey team en route to a game and it was from people like two hours away that had gone through that intersection and the exact same thing happened so their inclination was let's go help everyone in Humboldt we're from a small town they're from a small town we've been through this we know we're going to go and support so they got in their cars and they went to help with great compassion and kindness. And what they found out when they got there is that 40 years had gone by, but it was as if no time had gone by and they were still grieving and sidelined or side swiped 
unexpectedly by the grief that they hadn't resolved and they could like i'm sure it was helpful them being right there beside their fellow hockey player and families and saying you know we understand we get it we're here to support you but they were just like me trying to support the preemie parents and i hadn't completed my grieving these people 40 years later were not able to help them to the same capacity that they could have as if they had resolved those that that pain and they they would have still i'm sure felt pain but it would have been a much more balanced response than what they had mm-hmm. they just didn't have any idea how much pain they would be in because they thought that they'd recovered so time does not heal but yeah that is we the biggest have to, we have to address it in yeah and you know everyone's different everyone has you know certainly i've i've trained in this method that works it's been tested to work and it's evidence-based at the same time everyone's an individual and that doesn't mean that there aren't other things that they can do to help you know assist them all in their way like everybody might say well it gave me great benefit to i'm just make it up journal or something because journaling and showing gratitude let's say writing down gratitude is something that is actually helps people move into a shift in a place of happiness and peacefulness and content contentedness and even after you stop journaling you still benefit from that feeling for six months or a year afterwards you still are um, replenished by that practice so um yeah that's just an idea right that someone might say well i didn't learn this in this method but this is what i do as well and like it's People can always do other things as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so outside of the the realm of we might be going back a little bit more time here, uh, and that is 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 that can you describe how you felt during the time when you were giving too much to others and neglecting yourself in the process? There have been times like there's been. Um, times that my family has had medical issues and I've dropped everything and gone home. And because I had a film that I was self-employed and worked in the film industry. um, And if I wasn't on a film production, off I went. I just went home and assisted and gave everything. And then I came home and I'd be exhausted. Um, And even earlier than that, I discovered somebody that I worked with. I'd only worked with them three weeks and I discovered they were being abused at home. And I basically said, well, you're not going home. You're coming home with me. And so (laughs) off she came and lived with me um, for three months. And in the end, she went back to her husband. And just the drama and daily shenanigans that went on. And, you know, I would help that woman again in in a heartbeat, um, maybe with a little bit knowing things a little bit better to do this that time around. But I was a lot younger then. And um, after she went back to her husband, I felt really defeated and I was exhausted from the whole experience. I had given so much, it had taken over my life. I bumped into friends and her mother in the the mall and they said, Susan, are you okay? Like they hadn't seen me in three months and they're like, trying not to say you look awful, but they basically blurted out, you look awful. (laughs) So I didn't learn, you know, and then I went and helped my parents you know, and other family members during various things that happened. And, you know, I would do all that again. Um, But the greatest one was my daughter. I really depleted myself with my daughter. And, you know, I was living on 
like people supported food and everything, but you know, five months is a long time. And, and um, so at some point you have to like run by the store and pick up a sale on microwave food, stuff that I'd never eat, but you know, I needed something in the, to have to the parents lounge to have. And so I was eating food that was not healthy for me. I was, you know, not getting enough rest. I was not getting, you know, not having enough, like anything in my life other than going to the hospital and like a military exercise really is what it was. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I recognized that I felt exhausted and the, the point when we'd passed the two and a half months, I really some days struggled to get out of bed and keep going. Thankfully, I didn't have such massive depression then that I couldn't function. There were some parents, you know, they'd have their baby and then the hospital would have to call them and say, you know, you haven't come in a week. If you don't come, we're going to call, you know, children's services because you need to come and, you know, they, they need to shock them into coming in to, to visit their, but you know, who knows what was going on. This one woman that I know, she was so depressed. She thought she had called caused her daughter to be ill. And so she felt guilty and thought she would harm her. Right. So obviously that's a mental health issue based on extreme stress and depression and all that, all the hormone, hormonal change that's happening after you've delivered. So luckily I didn't go that way, but I just, I did get depressed. I just ignored it because it just tunnel vision. I need to get to my daughter. I need to yeah. get through this. Yeah. So yeah. it was, it was, um, there were some days I just didn't know how I was going to do it, but people, people you really managed said, and you have a beautiful daughter. I do. She's so beautiful. <laughs> and oh, that's, um, that's amazing. Yeah. And you'd never know to look at her now. You would never know. Yeah. Yeah. So true. And okay. So let's, um, the, the journey of all of the, the courses that you've taken that you're now facilitating, um, yes. with, with the, we've, we've covered the grief recovery, but we've also got the transformed life, which that was a new one. That was one I, I hadn't heard before. Right. So, uh, that one. And then as well as the quantum healing method, uh, quantum healing and quantum activation. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, uh, so how did that, because I know now that what you're doing is you're really creating some amazing results for people. And, uh, so I want to hear that the sort of journey, the transition that, uh, that sort of got you on that path and then into the, into the healing aspect of things. Right. Well, um, I had been looking for something. I had received a lot of coaching. A lot of people helped me along the way. Every time I needed assistance, you know, somebody would step in front of my path and offer to assist me. And, uh, you know, it just was one coach after another as I kind of graduated from one coach, another person would show up. And so I was really blessed by the assistance of so many people going through all these different things happening, sometimes simultaneously in my life. Um, and then I realized that I hadn't really found anything particular that was like a fit for me and that I really wanted to do coaching. Um, I really, had loved helping the preemie parents and, you know, I'm actually looking to help some more now, but, um, but I felt that I hadn't given myself enough of a good 
chance that maybe I'd quit too early. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I wanted to give it another try, but I hadn't really found anything that was a fit. And mm -hmm. one day I just said, you know, I just want to have, find a coach that is like offering the training that I want. And it's, you know, I was kind of fed up, forgetting all that I said, but I just really was like, why? I just want to find somebody that I, I can study with and, and um, it just needs to be, you know, like it's ridiculous that I can't seem to find because I looked up at different types of healing and I also wanted um, coaching that had a spiritual aspect to it. Um, and a lot of them don't necessarily, um, they don't focus on that. They might have a, like a little bit in it, but they're not, that isn't part of it. Uh -huh. And so an hour after I had that little hissy fit into my e email box, slid an email from a coach that I'd been following for five years or six years. And I hadn't opened her emails in about three years. I thought, oh, look what Rika's doing. Oh, look, she has a webinar tonight. Oh, look, she's doing a, she's doing a, um, she's doing a webinar tonight. And then I attended it and I'm like, oh, look, she's doing a resort or a retreat. And look, it's in Hawaii. Well, one of the things is I've moved 67 times in my life, Kate, and I was in a period where I was in a six month period in between homes. And here I was looking at that email saying, I really want to go study with this woman. She's doing a webinar in two weeks. And I thought, I, don't, I got on the call and um, talked to her people and I thought, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I can't even like find a roof over my head other than, you know, like a permanent one. I was like every day finding a roof over my head. But um, anyway, I decided I was going and a couple days later and there was an early bird fee. So I wanted to make that timing for that. And um, uh, two days later into my email box, slid a notification that I had an unexpected tax return or tax oh, refund error refund. Yeah. It wasn't the, it wasn't the usual tax, you know, the tax season thing. It was something else. It was like, I was like, that's enough to go away. So, you know, I was telling some of my business colleagues and they're like, let me get this straight. You don't have a home, right? I go, no. And you're going to Hawaii. I said, yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm going to live so, there for a while. <laughs> so off I went. And while my parents had been, had passed away two years before and there was a delay, they shouldn't have had such a long delay, but it took two years for their estate to settle. And while I was in Hawaii, um, their estate settled. And so I enrolled for the year, one year program. I went to the one week training and then I, was the first person to sign up for the one-year program with Rika. And so she does transformation coaching and it has a spiritual aspect to it. And, um, and so that was how I started that journey. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I'm going to write a book about that time. Yes. Yes, I'm sure. So what was one of the biggest breakthroughs that you had during that coaching time? Well, really everything broke down because at that point I'd been trying so hard to keep a stiff upper lip with all my British, Irish, Scottish, and Welsh background, you know, and, and military. Uh, let's not forget that. And military. Yes. <laughs> let's just it all together in one big package. And, <laughs> and I realized that I had not, I had not grieved. 
I had not allowed myself even like at one point my coach said to me, Susan, I said, you know, it was on a group call in front of everyone. And uh, I said, you know, I really feel like crying. I don't even remember what the issue was that I was admitting to the group. And she goes, why don't you cry? Why don't you, you know, why don't you just go ahead and cry? And I was like, I can't. Right. Well, there's times I cry very easily, but I just, over this issue, I just had a block with regarding letting go of any release. I just had such self, such anger with myself, such blame, such guilt, such feeling unworthy, all this stuff that I didn't, wasn't even recognizing because I hadn't really allowed myself to acknowledge mm -hmm. the pain I was in, just acknowledge where I was. And because I'm always striving to get to the next hurdle, to make it over the next, and just not sitting in and admitting, okay, this is where I am. That was the greatest thing to learn was to do that. Um, that was, you know, I still sometimes forget to do that. So <laughs> you have to do yeah. what? To stop Cry? and acknowledge okay. where I am, accept that this is where I'm at, I am. I'm not accepting where that I'm staying there, but I'm accepting where I am because that is what I wouldn't say. So, so basically you, you, if you don't do that, then you fluctuate between I'm going to this goal. Oh no, it didn't work out. I'm going for this goal. You know, it didn't work out. It's just like, this is where I am. And once I stopped that, it neutralized the whole fight and stay in, yeah, the yo-yo effect and staying in that fighting mode, right? And so that was the first thing. And then to release, to let all those emotions go through you. And sometimes that's crying. Sometimes it's, you know, anything else that comes you know, through you. And it, people avoid that because they don't want to feel badly. But really, it's a shorter road to just let all that flow through you than holding something in for years or decades or your whole life. You know, think of the pain that you're subjecting yourself to. <laughs> so I'm going to just, I want to recap that a little bit. So acknowledging where you are. Yep. Um, and, and you, and this was really interesting because you said something and it was um, that you would go for a goal and then you'd fail at going through the goal and then you'd try another one and the same thing would repetitively happen. So there was something yep. that was getting in the way. So you stopped and you went, okay, I got to figure out where I am and what's yep. going on. And that's such a powerful, powerful place because I think very much so as human beings, you know, we're often just running to what we think is the next post and uh, just trying to get there, thinking that that's the only way. And we keep running either into a post itself, <laughs> right? Yep. So you end up, you end up where we end up with this block. But the fact that you kept, um, that yo-yo process until you got to the place where you had said, wait a minute, like, I don't even know where I really, really am. So you had to do that enough times to acknowledge that. And so here is a very, very important place to stand with, where am I? What do I want? What do I really want? What's important to me? Yeah. And, and, and acknowledging and I, something that came up for me when I was reading um, the pre-interview form was the word that came to me was forgiveness. Yeah. 
that there was a really big a sense of allowance that started to happen and a place of really big forgiveness that's self-forgiveness so you could move from self-loathing to self-love do you want to expand on that yeah i just have i just have spent a, a such a long time learning how to forgive and to surrender with another coach um i attended her classes daily for a year and a half and after a certain number of months it was a group call always and so you were vulnerable there in front of people so you know here i am being vulnerable and thinking that i'm doing everything that i need to do and she looked at me after i don't know three months or four months and said susan there is a part of you that is not letting go you've you've accomplished a little tiny bit but you know she she likened it to like having a steel pipe that was still not letting go. And she goes, you just need to surrender. I go, I've been surrendering. And she's like, nope, don't be having I go. <laughs> I said, yes, I have. Like I've decided, I've been doing all the things I'd like Google things that people like say beat pillows and yell and write things down and burn them. And you know, all these different things. I did every single one of them. And, you know, I was saying like, I was walking around, I walked around the house saying all the Psalms from beginning to end aloud, you know, not all one day, I think, but, you know, I just basically was walking around my house, saying them all aloud and then saying all the Proverbs, trying to make it fix my issue. Right. But no one thing was going to make it fix it if I wasn't willing to open up and accept that this is where I ha- I was. I wasn't willing to accept it because then that made meant I made a mistake and that meant I made I was wrong. And then that meant, you know, back in childhood, you know, like then you're like, okay, well, if you made a mistake, then you had to suffer the consequences, right? So um, I mean, my parents were great parents. It's just, <laughs> I internalized that as being something that I just would never do is never admit a mistake. So, mm-hmm. and then I would never forgive myself. There was a point after I'd been separated from my husband for four years or two or three, whatever it was. And I realized I was thinking, why am I so angry? Cause I had forgiven him, but I was still really angry. And I realized I hadn't forgiven myself. Well, that took some doing because I realized I blamed myself for everything that had happened, you know, Self-forgiveness is a super huge place and it's the last place we seem to look. Yeah. I just, so that's the thing. Acknowledge is the first step to acknowledge where you are, but then to accept it because that was the next thing. I really struggled with accepting it after I acknowledged, okay, here's where I am. But then I was like, but if I would just get this, then I would, I would resolve this. Like I was still fighting for it. (laughs) so I had to just settle down and say okay I accept that this is where I am and once I did that just a huge weight came off my shoulders okay I accept that this is where I am but I'm not staying here right but I accept that I'm here and then the next thing was to just let all the condemnation and ugly feelings just flow right through me without as an observer not judging or critiquing or accessing or analyzing it or any of that mind chatter you do and just go oh yeah uh uh-huh and just letting it flow you almost like flowing through a pipe so acknowledge accept observe observe and feel 
feel all those feelings. And then once they dissipate, then choose your next path or choose your next attitude or choose your new belief or whatever it is, choose. So that's the fourth step. Yeah. Okay. So that was beautiful. So one is acknowledge, two is accept, three is allow the process. Yeah. Was, was that feel. Right? You have to feel it. Feel. Feel. Yeah. Feel so, the yeah. emotions that are coming up and flowing through yeah. you. And what was the fourth one? Choose. Choose, Choose something new. And so where does the self-forgiveness come in? Well, that's really the acceptance. Okay. Like if you accept that this is where you are, then you're, Ooh, well, that's, yeah. it, so, that's, you know, but you can, <laughs> I, I, what I do is I forgive myself at that point. So accept and forgive is probably okay. what you should write down. Yeah. No, because this is, it's very, very powerful. I think the listeners, uh, this is a really, really powerful thing for many people. I felt very moved um, about the uh, the acknowledgement. So um, I actually, it almost brought me to tears. And oh. so that's a very, very powerful thing because I believe that uh, maybe what's, is that we see it and we go, I don't want that. Or we see it on another level and we don't acknowledge it. And so it gets, it doesn't get dealt with. And it's, and it causes that same thing going back to what you were saying, that yo-yo effect of going back and forth. And so by acknowledging every time you notice, so it's really noticing that's so important. We have to stop. Yeah. We have to yeah. stop, yep. you know, and be in a place of receiving and be in a place of forgiveness and be in a place of acknowledging, like stop. Cause it sounds like you were, I mean, there was that whole military background mm -hmm. that was a, an extra driving force through your life. Yeah. Yeah. That absolutely was it. You know, I, I just, uh, yeah. I have a lot of energy, but I abuse myself by not allowing myself to rest, right? And to stop and acknowledge where I am. And um, the other thing too, is that often when we're striving for this goal and we fail it, or we haven't got there yet, and we're always like holding ourselves in that place in limbo, like trying to get there, then we're just telling ourselves there's only two solutions. <laughs> it's really not. That's polarizing it. That's creating duality. That's creating division all within ourselves. Right. And so yeah. if we just acknowledge where we are and let everything drop into place. Like, let's like, like imagine just those two issues, those two solutions or two outcomes dropping onto the ground, just like energetically, like a ball of energy on the ground. <sighs> and you look around, it kind of neutralizes it. And you kind of come up from it, your, where you are, from your foxhole, and look around and go, oh, this is where I am. You can reassess where you are. And maybe neither one of these things are what you want. Exactly. I was hanging on. I was hanging on because I was like, this is so important. It's, it, it's because because I think that a lot of people set themselves up for failure because they choose goals or we, we, not they, not they, not just you, but all of us, not right. just you listeners out there or, or us is that 
we create goals for ourselves that are not in alignment with who it is that we really are and, right. and, and, and what it is that we truly want in our lives. But we live from a place of should because we're so impacted by what it is that's going on around us and out there in the world. And we keep hearing, you need to do this so that you can do this to get there. And this is where you really want to be because that's the place that I'm telling you is the best place that you can be. Right. As opposed, as, and so, so then we're like, oh, Okay, so I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna do what they tell me to do. I'm gonna set that goal and I'm gonna go over there. And it's not where we want to go at all. Right. Right. <laughs> and who do we trust? We start looking to all the gurus in our field for answers. Now, it doesn't mean that they don't have solutions and they can't help us, but at the same time, we get we abort having our, using our own internal guidance to tell us, okay, now that the dust is settled, and God. Around, what's best for me? And instead, sometimes we jump out of that foxhole and we go and we start looking for all the people that are teaching this that we want to achieve to figure out what the solution is outside of ourselves. But we inside ourselves really know. And it was when I said, I just want a coach that teaches what I want, that doesn't, you know, it doesn't give all these freebies and actually delivers content to me that is in my field that I actually really want, as opposed to just taking what's available, right? It doesn't mean that, that person doesn't have something valuable, but that's what's available and it's not a match. So let's just, and it was when I said that, and I noticed that an email came in and I opened it up. I hadn't opened it for emails in three years and there it was, the solution. But if I had been blindsided with trying to look outside of myself, I would have just let that email roll by. But I had put myself in the position to receive it and notice it. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful, 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 beautiful. Trusting self, uh, internal guidance system. And yeah. with your internal guidance system, uh, who are you connecting to? Are you connecting to just yourself? Are you having conversations with, with God? Are you having conversations with, you know, where is that? As opposed to asking the world for the answer. Right. That's right. Yeah. Amazing. Be beautiful. Yeah. So with all the, um, all of the, the, with the journey and the, the, the life transformation, the, the life transformed coaching and all of that with, um, with the people that you're working with, uh, and how, what are you applying for yourself every day? What are your, to, to maintain your success in, in sticking to what you've, uh, what, what, to, oh, I'm having a hard time. My, my brain string a million things. Cause it's just, okay. Okay. That's yeah, okay. so it's it, what I'm asking is, and I'm going to have to make an edit cause this is like a big kerfluey. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And what it is, is, is that what do you do on a daily basis to help support your journey? Right. Your success. Well, most days, and I say most because it's supposed to be every day, but of course, if something comes up in the morning then I that I really need to attend to, then I do that. But most days in the morning, I have my own routine and I have my routine and my routine, I say, as if it's like a hard, fast routine that I have to do every single thing and I do this for half an hour. And that's how, that's the former me that would have done that. So I have a series of things that I do and sometimes I do all of them and sometimes I only do two of them, but you know, I do journaling 
I do my prayer and through I do the prayer group so that keeps me on um, balance that every morning at 8 30 in the morning you know till 9 or ish um, we do a half hour prayer session but often I wake up earlier and you know I'm meditating and praying before that um, I use my quantum healing on myself and I use my modalities um, from my transformation coaching on myself so I've actually created a modality that has three or a modality that has three things together in it and I find combined they're very powerful to help people release and then replace replenish you know because you don't want to release a habit and then just leave yourself open to attracting just any old thing you want to actually consciously infuse a new habit or a new belief or a new you know um, I work with Christ consciousness so Christ consciousness within the person's um, energy oh, okay. like within their body yeah yeah, it makes you people more grounded, so they're better able to move forward. So, um, yeah, and so I, I do that on myself every day, and I do that every day in the morning, but sometimes in the middle of the day, I'll be thinking, I'll suddenly notice that I feel off, that I'm feeling kind of, I'm kind of not feeling good about something, or I'm avoiding doing something, and I pause and I make myself stop and think, what is it that's going on? What am I feeling? And then I realize, Oh, it's, um, I don't know, I'm just trying to make it up. Maybe it's, maybe it's guilt or I just feel uncomfortable. And then, so I follow that. It's like following a little rabbit down the rabbit hole. And you don't know, it might be five minutes or it might be a little bit longer. But um, I sometimes it takes me back to something that I learned or heard when I was a child. It might take me to like a recent event. And then it takes me to, well, what was the source of that? Oh, that wasn't the source. Okay, the source was actually something that I heard an adult say in my presence, and I took that on as the truth. They were actually making a joke, but I took it on in my child as a, as the truth, and I used that through my life. And now something similar is coming up, and I'm feeling uncomfortable. So that's kind of like weaving back and forth how I help people. Like I do that with myself, and so I I will. Now, before I would have said, oh, yeah, I'll do that later before bed or and then it would never happen. Right. So now I actually stop the moment that it happens and deal with it then, because cool. then I'm better able to go forward faster for the rest of my day. So I have my routine and then if something comes up, I address it right away or as soon as possible. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. So is there a thought or a. Um something that you would like to share with the uh with the listeners today to uh, give them uh, an additional uh, boost to dealing with their lives very interesting yeah. Well, let me just think. What, because... the things, the things that the, there's so much juiciness in that place mm -hmm. of acknowledgement, stopping, forgiveness, surrender. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm going to say a completion point on that because just that that recap of you know the allowance, the acknowledging, the feeling, the emotions. Yeah, and choosing something new and for yourself is like the last, the last, the fourth point. And I think most people don't realize how powerful they really are and women in particular men are you know 
um, you know, brought up to be the number one, always, you know, push forward, always do that. But women are not. Women are taught to collaborate, be kind, be nice, be gentle. And we often, um, the good side of that is that we're kind, loving people, and we take care of those around us. That's what we're designed to do. And, you know, in our families, we're taking care of our families, and we're taking care of, like, making sure things are taken care of. We're answering the phone to our friend and, and helping them out and, and making something for somebody who's sick we're doing all those things and we do it well, but we don't see how powerful we are. We think we don't realize that we, well, one, we, it's important for us to nurture ourselves, but we don't, we aren't taught the, the shadow side of that being kind and everything is that we take care of everyone else to the nth degree that we deplete our own resources. Yeah. And so, and we don't believe that we're, as powerful as we are we don't believe that we're capable of creating massively great things and it doesn't mean that everyone's going to go out and you know do a film production or something you know it doesn't have to be something big like that but it mm -hmm. could be something it just has to be something powerful and meaningful for yourself that you mm -hmm. have this desire this dream to create but you shove it aside because you're busy taking care of the kids and neighbors and the parents are moving in and the kids are coming back home and all of this is going on you know and so I would say keep going after your dreams, even if it's just one little baby step at another, like sitting and um, meditating for two minutes about your, you know, go to the bathroom if you have no peace and go to the bathroom and lock the door and, and when we don't lock it, but like, you know, just meditate for two minutes and just dream about what it is that you would love to do and make a little note. Maybe keep it in your phone, maybe write it down. It's great when you write it down by hand because the hand connects cognitively to your, to your, it actually engages your logic, part of your logic brain. So actually when you're journaling and writing in cursive, um, it actually, you start problem solving as not that you have any problems, but as you're journaling about your dream, you're actually starting to ha be inspired about things that could bring, that you could do or next steps. So that's my that's my Beautiful. encouragement yeah Beautiful. keep going with your dreams they were given to yeah. you and they're possible they certainly yeah. are and it's remembering them because in the busyness of life very often we're in a space of, of striving not thriving and when yes. we remember our dreams and we do a little bit every day when it's something that is your heart's desire your time always gets given back to you in multiplication Yes, that's true. That's and true. There is that. So mm -hmm. remember that. So thank you so much, Susan. Thank you so much for being here and taking the time out today. You have some great things that that you shared with us. And uh, I'm excited to get the podcast up and for people to hear it and for you to share. I, I was just going to say, I feel very blessed to have been here. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and thank you so much for being here. And I want you to remember something really special. And that is that you are a miracle. Please uh, like, share the podcast. And if you identify with anything that happened today, imagine connecting with Susan and creating a new change, a new transformation in your life by having a conversation or working with her. Thank you so much, everyone. And have an amazing afternoon, evening. Good morning.